Welcome back to Foundational Thoughts, the podcast, the Missouri Baptist Foundation. My name is Neil, your host, and we're in part three today with a friend of mine, Tim Menzendeek. And today, Tim and I are talking about culture. Tim, thanks for joining me again here at the podcast. Great to be here. And we've talked about culture, and you've said culture is how we do things around here. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't matter where around here is. Could be house, could be church, could be business. Mm -hmm. And we talked about the importance uh, of creating a good and healthy culture. And so if you've not listened to our previous two podcasts, part one and two of this, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that, because today we're going to kind of dive into a third area, really, and that is a person who's listening today who's just now gets to be the leader, and that's a whole other podcast, because you can be a leader without having the title. That's and right. And we, we'll talk about that someday. That'll be ex- exciting. But either this person has now walked in, and they get to be the leader by default, or they've been brought in to be the leader, or... They've heard your podcast, and they have had a life-changing experience, and they want to change culture. What do they do when they say, you know what, culture is more important than what I realized. I've got to fix it. What do I do? I think the first thing you have to do is rec- uh, recognize the fact that there is culture. Okay. Right? There's no such thing as not having culture. Okay. <laughs> culture is how we do things around here, even if we do them poorly. Uh <laughs> And in that, I have found, and I guess learned the hard way through making my own mistakes, uh, that there's a way to change culture. Okay. So number one, there is a culture. Okay. Number two, you got to understand that there is a proper way to go about changing culture. And I'm going to refer to John Cotter's book, uh, Leading Change, here in just a second. But I think the research shows, and I've lived and long enough now and been through enough uh, situations in my life where I know that this is true, that successful transformation is somewhere between 70 and 90% leadership and about 10 to 30% management. Okay. And a lot of that is having the guts to be able to make the change, to make the transformation. Because no matter how good culture is, there's always pieces of culture that could be better components of how we do things around here. And so uh, going into a cultural change, and boy, this is extremely important for pastors and churches. You know, the the thing that I find, especially with Cotter's uh, book, is that these steps that I'm going to mention here in just a second are undeniable, whether it's it's a home, it's a church, it's a business. And if you don't follow this well-researched, well-documented process of change, more than likely you're going to blow things up. More than likely you're going to have a split. And, you know, you and I as former pastors can look back over the not only our own churches but the uh, friends that we have who led churches through change and how many stories of roadkill do you know Mm -hmm. in church world out there where people try to create change and maybe the pastor ended up on the uh, turkey platter on Sunday afternoon (laughs) or... Some people got mad and left the church. Uh, and and so the big key is not identifying what needs to be changed. That that's actually the easy part when it comes to change. And I would oftentimes have people come to me and say, well, mm-hmm. hey, that's a problem. It's like, well, mm-hmm. hey, the ability to point out a problem is not a solution to the problem. So we can see the problem oftentimes, even if the inside culture doesn't, the outside person can pretty clearly. And I, I found, at least, maybe you not have not, but even... Inside of that culture, you start asking questions. Oftentimes, the people inside the culture also recognize that that's a problem. 
The elephant in the room, right? The elephant in the room, like you've talked about, but we're unwilling to do anything about that. So sometimes I've met people who feel like they've they've done a service by pointing out the problem. I was like, well, no, there's no credit Mm -hmm. for pointing out the problem. That's pretty easy. Mm -hmm. But it's managing the solution to the problem is where we can go offline Mm -hmm. and off Mm -hmm. the rails pretty quickly. Because it takes, first, I guess you would say, you may not have this in your list, but I think courage to do something about the problem. Yeah. Would that be on your list at yeah, all? Yeah, and actually, Neil, that's great. You must have uh, looked at my notes because, in essence, the first four steps in Cotter's process are what we call defrosting the status quo. Okay. The first step, the first step in dealing with cultural change is to establish a sense of urgency. If people don't know that something is broken, if people don't have a vision of what the culture could be, we are creatures of habit. We love status quo. And so if I'm in my church and I'm looking around and I'm saying, hey, things are pretty good here. In fact, one of the factors that leads to uh, people overcoming the status quo is to recognize that even in the midst of a major crisis, a a visible crisis, there's still opportunity for change. In other words, it's easy when the walls have fallen down Mm. around you to say, oh, we got to change. Right. It's a whole nother thing when you have a vision to lead people to a spot and they're not convinced that anything is broken yet. Yeah, because it's okay enough, or that's the way we've always done it, or that's what grandma intended, and it's good enough. So that's a huge thing. I like how you're saying defrosting, too, instead of blowing up or, or right. melting or something <laughs> like that, because I'm thinking of the old-timey, because you're old enough to remember the refrigerators that you had to defrost. I yeah, don't even think sure. that happens anymore sure. right now. And that's kind of a... Used sl- to have one. <laughs> Did you? Well, it's kind of a slow, uh, methodical process, uh, and it still is messy, even though you go through that process. And and one of the one of the challenges that you have, back to your, your comment about courage is that we tend to, as human beings, default to the kill-the-messenger mode. Mm. We do. Don't come in and mess up my party. Don't move the furniture. I told in a previous podcast, I told a story about spaghetti and and shrimp. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I used to come home the first year I was married, and my wife had moved furniture around the apartment. And I, it would drive me crazy. Hey, leave my furniture alone. (laughs) (laughs) I like it the way it is. And uh, unfortunately, as leaders, many times we don't establish that sense of urgency uh, when we go about uh, trying to change a culture. Step number two, Neil, developing a core leadership alliance. It's really finding a group of people. Let's say that you want to go find 12 guys. It was a good (laughs) number for Jesus. Establishing a leadership alliance, a team of people and you disciple and train those people, and then that leadership alliance becomes a sort of a springboard, if you will, into other components of culture. Um, but, but it doesn't culture. have to be 12, necessarily. No, it no. happens just a number that makes sense for the organization or for your leadership style. How do we, how do we choose that number? Again, you, like we said in a previous podcast, you want to find safe, safe like-minded people. people. Okay. Right. Yeah. Who believes what you believes? And I'm going to go to step three, embracing a vision and a strategy. Who has who owns your vision? I can't tell you how many pastors I've talked to over the years who had a vision. And I believe a vision from God about their church. Maybe it's a leader in business. Maybe it's a new manager in a business unit. They went and all fired up, had a vision. And two or three years later, (laughs) things weren't going so well. Mm. 
Something happened. Something died. Was the vision not from God? I wouldn't go there first. I wonder if the change process was not in place to enact the vision, to fire the vision in the hearts of the people. So that's a very, very important uh, uh, part of it. Because I've always thought the the right thing the wrong way or at the wrong time, Mm -hmm. even though it's the right thing, can end up being the wrong thing. That's right. That's exactly right. Step four in defrosting the status quo is this, communicating the change vision. Cotter says in his book that you have to communicate the vision by a factor of 10, 100, or even 1,000. The biggest error in this section of work is under-communicating the vision. Hmm. You have to say it and say it and say it and say it some more. Because even though you may be repeating that in your mind thousands of times as the leader or hundreds of the time, you may not get everybody in your business paying attention in every business meeting that you have or every podcast that you're doing or every time you come to church. You have church members and other employees that are thinking different things than you mm-hmm. trying to change the culture. Mm-hmm. So even though it's old hat to us, maybe brand new to them, even though we've told them several right. times. Patience is a virtue. Oh, that's what they say. <laughs> Then outside of uh, defrosting the status quo, we could talk about stage five, six, seven, and eight, introducing new practices. You see, so many times we skip the first four stages and we just want to say, hey, I got a new vision. Here's what we're going to do next Sunday. Okay. That's downstream from the previous set of work. Empower people for broad-based action. Four obstacles that need to be attacked. Structures, skills, systems, and leaders. Structures, skills, systems, systems and supervisors or leaders. And leaders. And leaders. Yeah. Jesus was incredible at empowering people for ministry, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I've often said uh, to people that if I were Jesus, there's no way I'd send those knotheads out on a missionary <laughs> journey. No way. You need to go get a degree and and prove to me that you're trustworthy, and then I'll send you out there. Empowering people for broad-based action, very important, is step number five. Step number six, business or church world. How about generating small victories? We might call this low-hanging fruit. Too many times as leaders, I think, we swing for the fence. We Mm. want the big rock star thing to happen right up front instead of allowing good short-term wins to happen over a period of time. Good short-term win has at least three characteristics. Okay. It's visible. Visible. It's unambiguous. Unambiguous. And number three, it's clearly related to the change effort. In other words, if the change effort is going this direction Mm-hmm. with uh, some big uh, thing in the church to take place, and you want to go change the color of the wallpaper in the bathroom, what did, how, how is that related to the change vision? Yeah, yeah. So generating small victories, low-hanging fruit, being being aware of that. You know, we were able to do that as you're, think, as you're saying that. I don't think I knew to do this, but but in the church that I had the privilege of pastoring, we were kind of a traditional in our style, and I love traditional in our style, but it seems like our culture has a variety of opinion on that. And to reach another set of uh, potential members with the gospel and, and with the discipleship, that sometimes you may offer a secondary type of worship service or experience, whether Great it's loud example. or whether it's quiet or more reverent, and I think all that's going to come back around again at some point. 
But we began, instead of changing our Sunday morning service, I've been part of one church that kind of changed overnight and said, hey, we were suit and ties, and now we're casual, and we were this worship style, and now we have two different styles. Choose whichever one you want during the day. We decided to try a change on Saturday night first because it didn't affect the audience that we were already ministering to and appreciated what we were doing, and we appreciated them. But we were able to demonstrate, hey, we had X number of people come throughout these number of months, and these are new people who can't do anything else. These are people who like that. And we were all able to cheer together because that accomplished the mission Mm -hmm. without Mm -hmm. upsetting the people who are for the mission, but also just like most of us for the way things are. So, and and I think that really helped us as we move forward. Now, I also have to say it helped that one Mm -hmm. of the, uh, the statesmen of our church, it was their grandson leading the worship. And so that helped a whole (laughs) lot. And so I don't want to underplay that value. But I think that's a good point, because especially in pastors and maybe in other businesses, we want to go for that that heavy blow to begin with, that home run, make a big splash, when maybe you can, but I think Babe Ruth struck out a whole lot of times every time he hit one, too, if I remember. (laughs) That's right. Singles, 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 singles. Step number seven, consolidating gains and producing more change. Uh, Your core leadership is bought in, your people are buying in, and now you're starting to see that momentum kick in. And number eight, anchoring new approaches in culture. In other words, making it a way of life. Mm. Everything you do from the way that the secretary answers the phone to the way your bulletin looks to the way the church looks to the way people are greeted in the church. Because remember, what is culture? It's the way that we do things. The way we do things around here. So here's now the way that we do that in our culture. I grieve at the number of times in my life I didn't understand these principles because I believe many good people have had great ideas that failed, not because the vision or the idea wasn't from God. It's because we didn't know how to implement that vision. Mm. Well, I think these are solid tips, and I appreciate you giving your time to us here at the podcast. And I know you're involved in multitude of nonprofits. You've been involved in a local church for years. And these are, yes, the information can come from a book or can articulate a particular author or a book, but these are also time-tested principles, not only in the church, but in business, which also happen to align and be expressions of God's Word. And so why would we not want to utilize those resources to accomplish what He's given us? And you know, Neil, the last thing that I would say regarding this is this. I believe there are business people, school people, government officials everywhere who are looking at truth, looking for truth, ways to be impacted, ways to do things better. And I believe the church has a very powerful, enduring opportunity to take the principles of what's true in God's Word and take them to the world and be missional with what we talked about today. Hey, and that's what we're going to talk about at our next podcast with Tim Menzendeek. This is Neil Franks and Foundational Thoughts, the podcast of the Missouri Baptist Foundation. Thanks for joining us for this session. (laughs) 